Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. We don't have a great chat room. We have the best chat room. The conversation's always very lively, very educational, and you know, very insightful, too. So uh, do come in and join us. That is at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. What is this, a game of one-upmanship? I call it great. You say it's even better. Well, that's okay. You deserve. You can. It is fantastic. <laughs> All right. In the spotlight this week, we turn our attention to customer service and my own little pet peeve and the idea of companies too large to fail. I have made it somewhat of a habit in the past to write in the morning over coffee at one of my local Starbucks. This past week was no exception, at least for the first two days of the week. However, on Wednesday, when I went to use my Starbucks reward gold card, the young lady behind the register informed me that my card was no longer valid. It had been canceled. It was reported as stolen or lost. She was new and very polite, but insisted there was nothing she could do. I needed to contact the phone number on the back of the card. Well, I paid my bill in cash, a little bit embarrassed, I must admit. I attempted to log into my account, but no such user, no such account, etc. existed. When I returned to my office, I phoned the 800 number. I was on hold for 46 minutes, and this is no exaggeration, before a pleasant woman answered. She informed me that she could not access my account because it was closed. She could see that it had been closed because it was non-compliant with their new terms of service. She was unable to tell me what the change in service was or how and when I was supposed to have been informed of this change. She was very nice and overly apologetic, but there was nothing she could do to help me but open a new account, start all over again. When I asked about the balance on my gold card, she once again informed me that she could not determine how much money remained on my card because the account was closed. At this point, frustrated, I told her to just refund the balance on the account to my American Express, which was the way the card was loaded in the first place. She informed me that she could not do that. Starbucks would send me a check. She didn't know for how much, but her supervisors would be able to gain access to the closed account and deal with it. Now, I must tell you, I was flabbergasted by this service. I truly could not believe what was happening. Here I was, a customer who has spent literally thousands of dollars, not on computers at Apple, but on coffee and egg grabs, and they simply seized my money, canceled my account, and for what? Well, here's what their people wrote me when I sent them a complaining tweet. Quote, 
As a matter of best practice, we regularly review our records to ensure compliance with our terms of use. During a recent review of our records, it has come to our attention that your My Starbucks Rewards membership may be out of compliance with our terms of use. Because we believe your membership does not comply with our policy, we have closed your account. What? Oh, and then they added this. We invite you to create a new account at Starbucks.com. Unfortunately, any of the cards that were on the now-closed account cannot be reactivated. However, you can use the e-card that was sent to you in the original email from us to register a new account. I responded in utter exasperation. What original email? I mean, do I need to write Cliff Burroughs, group president of Starbucks, with copies of all the correspondence and summaries of the phone call, wherein you inform me that you could not refund my money on my Amex, that, that indeed I had to wait for some check in some unknown amount? It's not how much money is involved, it's the idea that you have seized the customer's money. So you have closed the account of a gold card holder who has spent thousands of dollars with you and at least temporarily impounded his funds and rewards and all because, quote, during a recent review of our records, it has come to our attention that your My Starbucks reward membership may be out of compliance with our terms of use, close quote. You know, perhaps you should take this to a supervisor, I argued. Two of your store managers have informed me to write Mr. Burroughs and his team since they have never heard of such a thing. Oh, and don't forget that I was publicly embarrassed when the barista informed me that my gold card was not good because it had been reported stolen or lost. A flat-out lie. To this, I received no answer. I searched the Internet and discovered that many were treated this same way. For example, J.F. Chicago wrote this, I am simply writing to vent my frustration in an attempt to get Starbucks' attention, futile though that effort may be. My Starbucks loyalty rewards card was deactivated this morning, a card that had a monetary value. The in-store staff have been great, but because they cannot reactivate the car, they directed me to customer service. Customer service told me, among other things, that the card was deactivated because I was not compliant with the terms of use. Hmm. The in-store staff indicated that the change in terms that customer service referred to occurred about two years ago, but would not have affected my use of the card. That change apparently dealt with charges for extras. Customer service also told me to refer to the email that Starbucks sent me, explaining why my card was deactivated. What email? The in-store staff said that the card is in the system as reported stolen. Fortunately, they all know me, so I was not accused of theft, which would have added insult to injury. None of this would be a problem, but my current frustration is that I have a card that had a monetary value. That card has now been deactivated. I have just spent about two hours between written complaints on Starbucks' site and searching for the way to reactivate my card and get my money back. I admittedly was a little surprised, okay, not sure why, at Starbucks' poor customer service. But now I am also getting angry because they stole my money, the value of the card. Well, close quote. 
Well, I checked Starbucks' policy page and found this, and again I quote, You are deemed to accept all changes, additions, or deletions if, one, you do not notify us to the contrary in writing within 20 days of the date of our notice or such other time specified in the notice, or two, you use your Starbucks card after such notice period. Uh, Hey, I used my card every day the week prior to canceling my account, and every day that week. How am I not complying? My friend Jillian Holloway had this remark about the whole matter. Quote, Clark Howard says when a company gets bigger like a dinosaur, its brain gets smaller. Well, amen to that, Jillian. At least, apparently, where Starbucks is concerned. I believe Starbucks has become so large and popular that they now believe it is a privilege for you and I to do business with them. And we had better appreciate it. How they think they can just unilaterally cancel accounts with prepaid balances and avoid a class action lawsuit is beyond me. Is Starbucks too large to fail? Is this just a trend in business today? I'll tell you what. As for me, I will change my habits and find independent coffee shops that are local and who appreciate my business. I've already located an alternative coffee company who offers the Sumatra blend that I love for my home brewing, and I'll just ship it in from Texas. I believe in voting with my dollars, and I urge you to do the same. If you are mistreated by some company, stop dealing with them. Write letters and complain as I did, copying your complaints to the Better Business Bureau. That's my thinking anyway. Oh. Now, here's one more late-breaking flash. As of yesterday, Starbucks, well, I'm sorry, as of Sunday, uh, Starbucks customer service sent me uh, a letter. And, uh, well, and actually it was in response to me notifying them that I was going to air the spotlight that I just aired today. And their response stated, they recognized my frustration, apologized, could and would restore my old account, and a specialist would phone to make this all happen. Of course, they haven't done that yet. Do you think they would have responded this way to everyone and restored their accounts as well? Not that mine's been restored. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Yeah, that's the whole too big to fail. Actually, I tend to think heads are going to roll at Starbucks. You know, that was such a huge error for them to make. It was ridiculous, and there are just lots of people that are unhappy. But there are a couple of silver linings in this particular cloud, you see. As you said, we found another coffee, Mojo Roast, and you can buy that online. They're actually not in Texas. They're in North Dakota, but we were introduced to it by, by Gigi my friend in Texas. Yeah. who is in Texas. Was well, in Texas. She's now it. in Colorado. And the okay. other silver lining is next time we go out to write in the morning, we will be going to this vegan uh, bakery coffee shop uh, place that I have found that we haven't checked out yet and I've been anxious to check it out so silver linings we've silver actually linings. found several targets for us now to I go know. Right. Now we're have go... Wi-Fi coffee and whatnot and so. we'll check it out and who knows maybe we'll find better places okay all right 
Every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week I was gone, so we replayed a show on Forbidden Archaeology, anticipating our show for today. Our last live show featured Dr. Cynthia Thigh, and we discuss her research and book, Your Vibrant Heart. Anna wrote, I wish Dr. Cynthia could be my doctor. Jennifer added, I would love to have her as my doctor. Richard remarked, isn't the heart just an avatar metaphor for subconscious brain functions? Now, following the show, I posted a new report regarding the success of heart transplants. The headline read, genetically engineered pig hearts survive more than a year in baboon hosts. Are we getting close to using pig hearts as donor organs for humans? Mark wrote, good show today. If the use of a pig heart will lead to the saving of a person's life, then I may be open to the idea. However, you still raise a good question. I think that there is the metaphor of the heart and its myriad qualities, which is distinct from the physical heart, which is an organ that pumps blood. I think that the physical heart might also serve as the seat or center of certain human emotions like sympathy and compassion. And so, how are such emotions impacted with a new pig heart? On the other hand, there is also the heart chakra, which is not a metaphor, but a major spiritual center with distinct attributes. What impact would a new pig heart have on the heart chakra? For me, that is of greater concern than the metaphor. Now, Brian added this. Maybe after a porcine heart transplant, a person would develop a sophisticated nose and taste for truffles. Ha, 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 snort, ha, ha. (laughs) (laughs) Just had to go lighter side on this one. I am rooting, pun intended, for the 3D cellular printer and using a person's or a close match donor cells to build replacement parts. Makes me wonder how a dedicated vegan would be given that chance for extended life due to an animal organ transplant or living out their days with impaired original equipment. Very good point, Brian. Very good point. Isabel wrote, I love your show, but it's never long enough. Andre wrote, excellent audio, complemented perfectly by the books of Dr. Eldon Taylor that have good people with such knowledge and who also want to share it. Janice wrote, your book, Choices and Illusions, has changed my life. Thank you. Tony wrote, we've enjoyed your intertalk programs in the past, and they have completely changed my wife and myself. Thank you. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. Now to this week's show, The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization. Question. What if our individual minds, each of ours, were but one component in a larger evolving global mind field, perhaps even a universal mind? What would that mean? How would we translate that or use that knowledge in our day-to-day life? Enter today's guest. Carl Kalaman earned his Ph.D. in physical biology from the University of Stockholm, where he was mentored by a Nobel Committee member. In addition to being a senior environmental researcher at the University of Washington, he has served as a cancer expert for the World Health Organization. His articles have been quoted over 1,500 times. Dr. Kalaman is recognized as the main proponent of the idea that the Mayan calendar reflects the evolution of consciousness.
His three previous books on the subject include The Purposeful Universe, The Mayan Calendar and the Transformation of Consciousness, and Solving the Great Mystery of Our Time. If Dr. Carl Kalaman is right, the scientific community has been wrong about the nature and origin of the human mind for a long time, for according to him, rather than being a product of the brain, the mind has now been proven to originate in Earth. Okay, on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Carl Johan Kalaman. Thank you very much, Eldon. Good to be on your show. It's indeed our pleasure, sir. Uh, we like to get three things from our guest, Dr. Kalaman. What is the message? Who is the messenger? And how do we use the information? So if we can, let's please begin by having you share with our audience a little about yourself, where you grew up and when, how and why you became interested in a global mind with a background in biology. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, um, I was born in Stockholm, um, in Sweden, in 1950. Um, in, uh, and, um, and that's where I was raised and uh, trained as a scientist in the hard sciences. And uh, I spent uh, 20 years working in uh, uh, world-leading laboratories uh, dealing with problems of, of, of cancer on, and on biology and, and chemistry. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, at an, a little bit earlier point in, in the, at the time when I was still a graduate student, uh, I made a trip to Mexico in 1979, like a backpacker, a young backpacker, uh, wanting to see something uh, other than uh, test tubes and, uh, and these kind of things. And um, um, when I uh, came to Mexico and also a little bit time in, in Guatemala, I uh, really experienced a, a big change uh, in myself, uh, just being there. Uh, and, and especially with the, uh, with the presence of the pyramids and, and these things that are uh, in, in information times in, in, in that area, uh, I felt that uh, I had a purpose in my life. Uh, I could not yet really see what it was, but it was definitely related to this, uh, this, uh, these ancient uh, uh, cultures that existed mm -hmm. in, in that particular country. Uh, and that really, in, in a sense, that was really a contrast to uh, what I was had been trained to think uh, in, in my science education, uh, because uh, very much of science is, is based on the premise that life is an accident, uh, especially biological life is supposed to be an accident, according to the Darwinist uh, right. idea. And... Uh, but everything is sort of treated as if it's an accident, and that that implies that there really isn't any purpose to life except for whatever we might make up for ourselves. Right. But when I came there, uh, I, I just felt this here. This is my purpose. I feel I have a purpose here in, in life, and then I went back. Um, to, to Sweden and uh, continuing my test tube works and uh, and so forth and and uh, and uh, I continued my scientific career until a point in 1990. 
92, 93, I would say, that where I, I essentially made a break with this and felt that I, I really want to go to the bottom of, of the meaning of the calendar system that these peoples have, had been developing and uh, using. And I, I had already understood that this is something entirely different from what we usually associate with a calendar. Um, I had learned when I was in Mexico that different time periods were associated with different deities, different divinities uh, that supposedly gave some uh, spiritual qualities to each of these uh, time periods. And so the the ultimate ultimately the idea generated from this is that what happens on earth is is the result of a sequence of such uh you might say spiritual archetypes and that's when i started to do my uh work with the mayan calendar and i have essentially been doing that uh, ever since since 1993 and so you- Yes. So if I can get this right, so you're you're basically, you know, your hard scientific background, and yeah. the, you know this mechanistic view of the world, and this Darwinian evolution, and and so on and so forth. Training is overcome by your intuition, by your feeling, and in time it grows powerful enough for you to set aside that scientific training long enough to pursue. What shall we say? Uh, a a meta science, a metaphysical uh, application of uh, of what archaeologists would call an artifact. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Except that you know, I have not set aside my scientific training. I've set aside some of the basic premises of, upon which upon which uh, science operates today. Gotcha. Uh, uh, in other words, I'm still very proud of, of the, the scientific training I, I had because that means that I, I really have the idea that things should be proven, the sources should be checked, and etc. etc. So, so the, the training is still there, but not the basic premises upon which modern science operates. Right. So, the, you know, all right, the whole whole idea of science and verification. Uh, observation verification that stays with you so now you you have a unique perspective regarding the mind and it's not shared by the larger scientific community but there are so many brilliant scientists in in all fields that seem to approach a point where they like you are overwhelmed with with information that suggests there's a lot more to this world than just the, sh- the world of shoes and chips and sealing wax. Why is yep. it you think they hold back? Why is it you think they hang on to these older ideas despite the healthy number of brilliant people who suggest otherwise? Well, you know, I think... Uh you know, I listened to your uh, your report earlier on the Starbucks, and uh, <laughs> my uh, rant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's typical of the world today. And uh, uh, but what I'm coming to is that uh, I would say that uh, science is sort of a subsystem of the modern world, and that there is such a uh, such an entanglement of. Uh, uh, 
interests that that goes way way beyond what what is just truthful information in in, in science in other words there are millions of scientists that have made their living through uh, uh, through things that we may now understand is is not really true and re- not really relevant in terms of understanding the world and these people will probably not just like to say we were wrong and uh, especially not considering the the, the enormous entanglement of I'm gonna, that I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask yeah. you to hold it right there Dr. Callaman we have a hard break coming up I don't want the computer to kick us out when we come back we'll talk about the institutions the paradigm and so on and so forth yeah. we're speaking yeah. with Dr. Carl Callaman about his work and book the Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization. It's a great read. You can learn more about him and his work by visiting Kalaman.com. That's www.c-a-l-l-e-m-a-n.com. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The way in is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using inner talk. Lisa wrote, To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs, Prosperity, Money Management, and Luck. I listened to the Prosperity and Money Management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping. The Luck CD I listened to every day at home, also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a $100 gift card to The Gap, won $500 cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch-off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, inner talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth, inner talk is there to serve you. Check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's I N N E R. T-A-L-K dot com. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or BTO.net and or BBS.com. 
We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. There's an angel Contemplate my fate Do they know The places where we go When we're gray and old Cause I have been told That salvation Let's their wings unfold So when I'm lying in my bed Thoughts running from my head And I feel that love is dead I'm loving angels instead And through it And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Carl Kalman about his work and book, The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization. We ask our guests for up to three songs, songs that have special meaning to them, songs that represent some aspect of them. So now we just played Angels with Robbie Williams. Why is this song special to you, Dr. Kalman, and how does it tell us about who you are? Uh, well, actually, I did not know that that was... I, I only, you know, you asked for a few favorite songs, and <laughs> and, and I, I just uh, think it's a beautiful song, it's, and that, that's really the what it is. But So uh, we, we um, caught you with a little self-disclosure here then, huh? Yeah, yeah I guess you did. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's all I can say. It's a beautiful song, and, and, and uh, but I haven't really thought that it has a... You know that it means to uh, whatever it means to me personally. Other than, other than that, yeah. Well, that's wonderful lyrics. Life's never going to let you down. Do you kind of feel that way? I mean, you know, my background's yeah. in psychology, so I'm not going to let you run out by it's a favorite song and it has no <laughs> meaning to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, sir. Listen, before the break, you were explaining. I, I believe you you were talking about or about to take on this notion of paradigms, institutions. Yeah. And I think it's Thomas Kuhn, you know, who so adequately explained the real problem with with how you move through an, a paradigm, how you change those paradigms, how people can become so invested in them. What is it, I mean, how do you see this ever eventually changing, or do you? I, I do see it eventually changing. Uh, um I think it, it it just comes down to the point where where people get an interest in another paradigm and see that it it really is something that uh, has, I think such a shift will have to come from the inside of people uh, people changing, uh, but. Uh, Today's world, I think the power structures of it are, are so much connected and that none of them wants uh, any 
boat to be rocked in in any field, uh, and and I, I think at this point we we're stuck there. But I don't think that will will last forever. Uh, ultimately, the the truth wins, but it's it it just will take some time. It <laughs> took, took a very very long time for us to move from a Newtonian perspective to the quantum, and it took some you know pretty yeah. significant. Um, alterations in that view that could not really be denied, you know? I, 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 I'm, yeah. I think about Galileo actually showing, um, colleagues, um, uh, you know, the planets moving through the telescope and there they were convinced that he painted something on the end of it in order to show them that. So, I mean, can we really be that blind with, with, with how we see our world? <laughs> yes, I think I think we are pretty blind in, in many ways. But you know, when it comes, for instance, to my own work here, um, you know, you can just imagine the, the the kind of shift. What I'm saying here, and I think I show quite convincingly, is that the mind does not originate from the brain; it it originates from the earth. And what what enormous consequences that would have for for the practice of, of medicine, psychology, etc., etc. It's it, it's and and the enormous um, money interests that are associated with this. It, it's it's it it won't come easy. I don't think. Yeah. All right. I have to ask you this: Your books are spiritually oriented. Yeah. And and I like that. I admit that. But I have to ask you. Were you raised religious, and if so, in what religion, and how does that bias you, if at all, today? I was not raised uh, religious, and uh, um, and uh, especially, you know, you may know or not, but Sweden is really sort of the the least religious country in the world, yes, and, yes. and uh, um, so. It, it's just a minority of people there that belong to to organized religions, and uh, and I was no, I had no such thing. Uh, that's uh, something I've grown into later, and uh, in a sense, I think it's uh, I, I'm happy about this background because you know I, I meet some people in in America that are they are. Uh, bitter on uh, what they call organized religions because they've had uh, experiences uh, with them that they're not happy about. And I have no such uh, bitterness. I, I have no bad uh, experiences of, of, of religions. So, so um, I really have no no problems with it and uh, uh, but yet you know i i just have come to uh see the world that you know it, it doesn't make sense if you're just trying to make it mechanistic there there, there is a, there is a much higher intelligence at work uh, uh to, in this world and and uh, that's that's what i'm coming from and and uh, i also have the ambition of, of connecting to this in intelligence myself personally to the extent that is possible spirituality yeah it was uh, anthony uh, flew uh, the greatest atheist of all time whose final book was god exists because in his view through all of his life and all of his research and looking at you know the nature of philosophy the nature of argument the nature of physics the nature of um, you know the history of the earth and da 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 he like you just said overwhelmed by the fact that it can't just be mechanistic. Right. All right. 
I want to get into some real details about your book, but before we do, I kind of want to set a broader stage. Um, you know, you, as I said in the setup piece, you see mind originating outside of brain. And, and, you know, for years and years, we have as a public in the Western world been educated to believe the body is like a machine right up to the list of replacement parts, if you will, that might be called into action should the situation require. You know, maybe we get that pig heart, okay? I think most credit Descartes for this mechanistic view, but but we're learning just how shallow this analogy is. So how does your model of the mind fit into the scheme of mind-body, say, in wellness, health, uh, happiness, uh, and so forth? Well, um, uh, oh yeah, that's 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 a big uh, question. That well, if I suppose it, it really has a lot of consequences for for these uh, relationships. If the mind is something that you might say we coming from the outside and that we download, um, then uh, then that will shake. That mind will still, uh, as we have downloaded it, it, it will uh, play a great role in, in how our body functions or, or health uh, uh, things and so forth, because uh, the mind is connected to the brain, and the, 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 the brain is connected to the body, and then the, 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 the mind provides like a, a framework for the, the healthy working of the body. Um, but uh, it, it becomes a little bit different than... You know, if you think that the mind comes from the brain and is created by the brain, uh, then it is more possible to to have sort of a completely mechanistic uh, uh, worldview. Uh, then you would not necessarily have to think that uh, the mind would, for instance, influence your health. Um, um, but it, it does if it's something that is coming uh, from the outside, something you download and, and connect to your brain, so to speak. Okay, let's go directly to your hypothesis and work. Central to your thesis, Dr. Kalaman, is the idea that the mind is created through the brain's resonance with the Earth's inner core. I believe I understand that correctly. Yes. So yes. now, and, and you, you just use the word download, and of course we think of that as like, you know, the computer. We download software yeah. all the time, and all of a sudden we can do things that we weren't able to do. And right. this is central to understanding your entire thesis. So, you know, please flesh this out for us. What is it we're downloading? How does this compatibility, this resonance come about existing, um, and, and so forth? Yeah, that's you know, I, I don't, I'm, I don't feel I'm completely able to explain how the downloading works. Uh, what the book is about is showing that uh, a downloading absolutely must have occurred, and that that that's really what is behind the fact that uh, 
there are so many synchronous uh, events in different parts of the world. And the, the easiest way of explaining that is that uh, people in different parts of the world at the same time are, are, are downloading a new kind of a mind at, at certain shift points in, in history. Um, um, but uh, I, I, I want to try to explain a little bit more please, here. Please. Uh, central to the idea here is that uh, civilization would arise uh, about 5,000 years ago when, according to the Mayan calendar, uh, people would start to... Um, um, create a world based on straight and perpendicular lines. Um, uh, people then downloaded a new kind of a, a mind that, that would separate uh, their perception of reality. And it would, for instance, through the downloading of the mind, people would be uh, having two different hemispheres uh, of the brain. In, in other words, this idea that's become very prevalent in the past 50 years, that there is a difference between the left and the right brain half, that's not because there is any difference in the gray matter of the left brain half and, and the, the right matter, uh, uh, right brain half. No, it is because people downloaded a mind of straight lines that separated the, the, the two brain halves and, and gave it different kind of functions. And as that happened, people started to think in a different way. People started to look upon reality uh, and compartmentalize reality in such a way that technology and civilization would, uh, uh, would rise. And this, you know, the first straight lines that we see uh, in, in human civilizations, it, it then really coincides with the time that the Maya pointed to when straight lines would be become uh, available uh, um, to, the, uh, to the minds of, 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 of people. And these straight lines is sort of a grid line of, of the four directions that we we know of. And, you know, whenever you study ancient civilizations all over the world, you will find that they very often they, they built their uh, buildings uh, in alignment with the four directions. And the way I look upon it is that our mind, it actually comes from, not only from the earth, but more specifically from the four directions that we know of the earth. And so when they actually, when they were building these buildings and performing these ceremonies about north and west and southwest and northeast, etc., etc., they were actually, that was almost like a process that helped them download the mind because the mind comes from the earth and the four directions of, of the earth. And, and this becomes very clear when you study such things as, as the big, uh, pyramids in Egypt and how they were in absolute perfect alignment with the, with the four directions. And, and you find the same thing in, in many places in the world. So I, I think this is a hypothesis that makes sense of this fact that 
some may have wondered about. Why was the, it so important to ancient people to, to build their buildings in alignment with the four directions? Well, it is because um, the, 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 the mind is an emanation from the earth and an emanation from the four directions of, of the earth. And uh, once you have downloaded this mind, once you have made ceremonies and built uh, uh, um, uh, buildings uh, in accordance uh, with, with these lines, you get a mind. And, and that mind uh, will help you in, in many, many technical questions. It, it helps you separate things. Uh, it helps you think analytically, so to speak. And okay. uh, uh, that's, that's, that's my viewpoint. Please, please allow me to play devil's advocate for a moment, just so I can flesh this out and you can... Yes. You can refine the argument some, if you will, to help me. Um, there are many explanations for why the pyramids in Egypt and the Mayan uh, pyramids uh, for Stonehenge, etc. You know, people like Vendani can talk about chariots of the gods, and they have their evidence, their airstrips, and so on and so forth. There are many arguments for why there is hemispheric difference between the right and the left, why they are, you know, uh, have specific specializations, the linear versus the, the spatial. Uh, Julian James, for uh, example, from Princeton, uh, in his book, uh, The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind, gives us a pretty compelling argument there. <clears throat> so I'm kind of thinking this. <clears throat> the... The scientist in me says, you know, wait a minute, there's something called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. And, you know, uh, an, an example of that, a common one, you know, we see on the Internet where people compare uh, the death of John F. Kennedy to the death of Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, well, look, Kennedy was shot in a Ford and and Lincoln was shot by a Ford and uh, and, and, and on and on and on. Well, yeah. you know, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. The idea that, you know, somebody, you know, a gunslinger just shoots the side of a barn up. And then we go in and we draw a circle around a concentrated center of bullets. And we say, aha, see, these bullet holes right here, this proves. So my question to you is, the evidence that you're giving us that implies we're downloading information uh, from the earth on the basis of the geometry or the mathematics of, of uh, architecture, could it be, for all intent and purposes, uh, could there be an alternative hypothesis that serves us just as well? Well, you know, that that, that I cannot uh, answer. Um, I, I think, um, um, for instance, when it comes to Julian James, I see really no... A contradiction between his work and 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 my own. Uh, the only difference is really that I'm providing this time frame that the Mayan calendar gives. And actually, that's a very good point because change and, and, change could have come about as a result of the download itself. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. All right, well, let me ask you this, then. I don't mean to cut you off, but, you know, yeah. Jung produced the idea of a collective unconscious. Others have addressed the idea of a collective mind, a universal mind, capital U implied there. How do your ideas differentiate from this if they do? 
from from whose ideas? I'm sorry, I didn't from the that. idea of a collective unconscious, like Carl Jung, no, or the idea a, of a universal mind. You know that we hear yeah. so much well, about I, in metaphysics. Yeah. Well, if you you know take Carl Jung's idea, with, uh, you know the collective uh, uh, unconscious and so forth, there's, there's no contradiction at all. What what I'm adding is that. Well, he really didn't have an explanation to why this kind of a phenomenon would exist. Uh, I think uh, his idea was somehow it was inherited, but uh, th that doesn't make sense. Uh, the, you don't inherit uh, the, these kind of things, and it wouldn't quite explain why, why uh, shifts in uh, the way civilizations operate, that they are synchronized all over the world. And so uh, there's no contradiction between, like, Carl Jung's work and mine. The, the only thing is I'm through making this connection with how uh, w with the inner core of the earth and then how that somehow radiates like a mind all over the planet i provide a kind of a uh, explanation to why there is such a thing as a collective consciousness and and also why it seems to be changing in synchrony all over the world so um this, uh, that, that's my view. There is no con uh, contradiction, but I, I am providing an, uh, a time frame and uh, uh, an explanation on and another level actually. to why it exists. Yeah, yeah, a mechanic actually. So let me yeah. let me see now. If we're downloading as Earthlings from the Earth, uh, if there is life on another planet, will they be downloading from that planet, or I mean? Uh, is this an Earth-bound way that we're downloading? What happens if we travel into space? Well, I I, I don't know, uh, obviously, but I would uh, I would suspect that uh, each planet would download their own minds. But I would also think that this downloading would be happening synchronistically all over the universe, and that's a, that's a, that's a funny conclusion. But but it really would mean that. In other words, uh, the changes in the mind, even if it's different in, dif in, in some other galaxy, in some planet, they, uh, even if they, the changes are different, it would still be synchronized with, with the kind of changes that we are experiencing ourselves here. It's a very challenging, very provocative hypothesis, Dr. Kalaman. Um, it, it does, you know. I mean, if you think of the planet as has been put forward, Gaia, a living, you know, entity, and we yeah. are just a part of that entity, and then you begin to loop out there and look at, uh, well, like Rupert Sheldrake's work where, you know, animals um, instinctively are able to identify things or the migratory yeah. patterns, um, the cemeteries of the elephants, and so on and so forth. You, you, you know, and they do this even though they've not been taught to do it. They just do it yeah. in, instinctively. When you begin to tie all that together, it begins, I mean, it genuinely can make some real sense to see this as one consciousness yeah. that we just share an attribute to. Have, have I got that kind of what you're, what you're, yeah. uh, you're, you're telling us? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's one consciousness, but, 
then again, you know, the mind is what the way I, I look upon it is sort of uh, um, compartmentalizing consciousness in, in such a way that it becomes uh, a little bit different in different parts of the world and probably different parts of the galaxy and the universe and so forth. But it's one consciousness. Yes, I, that's my view. Now, the real challenge, and I'm going to ask you this when we come back, we've got a break coming in about 30 seconds. Uh, the real challenge is if, you know, we can compartmentalize, as you just said, but when you look at an evolution of consciousness, you would think that it would become more and more unified, and I'm not sure, in fact, I am sure that that's not at all what we're seeing going on in our real world today. But we'll get back to that after the break. Again, if you would like to know more about Dr. Dr. Carl Kalman, his work and book, The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization, or the other three, visit his site, Kalman.com. That's C-A-L-L-E-M-A-N.com. Or check out the links on ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. This is, like I said, it's a challenging book, a provocative book, but it does make a lot of sense. All right, we have a film featuring Dr. Kalaman for you during the break. You can watch it in our chat room, so if you're not already there, now is the time to join in the fun. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat, and we'll be right back. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. You can join in the conversation by calling 877-230-3062. And for our international callers, you can join us by dialing your country code and 425-644-5620. You can also participate by entering the chat room at eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. You can email Eldon from anywhere on the world by sending an email to eldon at eldentaylor.com. Now, back to the show. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Dr. Carl Kalaman about his work and book, The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization. 
Now, we just played your second musical choice, Dr. Kalaman, When Love mm-hmm. Takes Over with David Guetta and Kelly Rowland. And you're not going to be able to tell me, you know, this song doesn't mean anything to me. I just kind of <laughs> like the music, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> tell us, why is the music meaningful? Oh, I don't know. It's a beautiful... Uh, the, I, I can't say much more than it. it's a beautiful tune, tune and I, I like the video they make, made with it, and and I, I like the title when love takes over. Is that, that sort of, um, you know, it's, it's something you can relate to. It's an experience you have, and um, they put the finger on it. Okay, so what's a special lady in your life think about that song? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know, huh? We won't no, go there. Yeah. All right, yeah. listen, you know, before the break, I suggested that if we're all downloading from the same source, you would think that, you know, we would have a, a society, a global uh, society that was uh, more inclined to be good to one another, more inclined to feel empathy and compassion, uh, to be working uh, together. We wouldn't have the war and the gruesomeness, the torture and all this horror that we see in a a 24-7 news cycle today. How do you explain that? Well, you know, you might say, yes, there is one source. But at one point in in the book, I, I discuss the the nine different levels of of uh, of uh, life or the waves uh, uh, that the Mayan calendar describes that uh, that uh, create life and create the mind, and so uh, <clears throat> there are different uh, versions of the mind that are uh, accessible to us. They are downloadable to us. And they will be more or less uh, downloadable to us depending on where on the planet we we live. And one of the things that I have not really gone in too deeply in this particular book because I've dealt with it so extensively in, in my previous books is that there is a... a, a uh, resonance between the 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 right brain half and the eastern hemisphere, and the left uh, brain half and the western hemisphere. And uh, over time, as the mind has been sequentially, or different versions of the mind has been sequentially activated, there's been shifts. In, in, in these relationships, uh, shifts in how the, the, the left and the right brain have, have been related to one another and shifts in how the Western and the Eastern hemispheres have been related uh, to one another. And uh, unfortunately, for the most part, when we do see these, when these shifts occur, uh, we, we will also see a change in power and we will see uh, very often uh, I, I'm not saying that is necessarily so, but in, uh, very much if you look at history, you will find that it often results in, in power struggles, in, in violence, and, 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 and so forth. In other words, it's, just, it's not just even, even though 5,000 years ago, one, the, the mind, uh, the basic mind sort of was, was uh, for the first time, became downloadable for all over the planet. 
It has later been new versions of the mind that have been downloadable. And especially in the mid-1700s, uh, a new version became downloadable that, that really was the, uh, creating a new kind of a world, what we would call the modern world, uh, with industry and technology and democracy and these kind of things. And then more recently, the, in, uh, in 1999, there was a new version of the mind favoring the Eastern Hemisphere and uh, creating this kind of a uh, smart technology that that has become so uh, prevalent and then just the most recent version is the one that was downloadable only in, in 2011 uh, which is uh, actually a, a, a mind that allows for a, a unity uh, but you know the the people that are fully born into that version of the mind they are still less than three years of age and so there will take some time before that will, will become really uh, a, a possibility that a lot of people will choi- choose and, and adhere to. So there are different kinds of the mind, uh, even though they, they all have the same source. And as the, these versions are replacing each other, there are shifts in how we operate in Earth and the power relationships and, and so forth. All right, let's let's take the Mayan calendar on then. Let's let's just go to there for a minute and look at it. Um, you know, I was very critical of all those many folks who prophesied, prophesied. I'll get it out. Doom and gloom. You know, the final global eschatological event, all tied up to the Mayan calendar. The one exception was Jose Arguelles, who I know you disagree with who on this show informed us that that was all just nonsense. Okay, still, to the end times promoters, all of whom were making money from their interpretations, the world was coming to an end. It's amazing to me how fear sells. However, as we get closer and closer, as we got closer and closer to December 21st, of 2012, many of these end time writers began to modify their arguments and instead of representing the end days, uh, they began to say that, you know, the calendar represented a new dawn in, um, what, a new dawn in intelligence, a new dawn in evolving consciousness, okay? So we were somehow going to become kinder, more ca- compassionate, and so on and so forth. Uh, I think, you know, your explanation of how there can be different levels of information and how that ties to history you know, has some real bearing on, is the Mayan calendar something you can use for prediction? And indeed, haven't you used it for prediction? Yes. Uh, there were many things there. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that simply to to say that I disagree with Arguez. I, I'm in fact, uh, I'm a great uh, admirer of his early work, the the. Uh, the Mayan factor and uh, in 1987 and the harmonic uh, convergence that he initiated um, and uh, uh, and he so he he was the one that actually was the first to to highlight that the, the Mayan calendar existed to a broader right. audience in the world right. um, unfortunately he I, I think based on a of, of personal tragedies that he couldn't um, you know, his son died, and he shared a lot about that. He, he created a false version 
celebration of the Mayan calendar later that spread all across the world. And it's not a matter of disagreement. It's just a fact that he, he spread a false calendar. And um, I, I, I just want to point this out, that it, it's not uh, his work. is not something people want to, all want to hear. He, is he good or is he bad? Well, he did some very, very significant uh, uh, thinking early on, and then he 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 went off track. So, so I wouldn't uh, say so, that. So, so let me ask you at this juncture, if I can, is that how you came up with uh, a different end date? I think yours was Friday, October twenty no. eighth of twenty eleven. Yeah, no, it's it's not that. Uh, that's not the same thing, but it's certainly the reason. You know, I follow the the same uh, uh, basic calendar system as the Maya, the ancient Maya, and the present Maya, and he developed a different one. Uh, he felt he was a prophet who was had the, somehow had the right to to, to create new calendar that came to go by the name of the Mayan calendar in in many parts of the world, and and that's a sad story. But uh, that, that, that's a complicated. Uh, that's a, that's you know. Uh, but then uh, uh, let's see. Uh, coming back to what was the actual question that you um, uh, ended the, your. Can you repeat, please? What <laughs> it's you know. If, if I had it written down somewhere, I probably could do that. But that's okay. Listen, uh, right? Well, you, we, we we can move on. Uh, let's let's do this. I I think you know, the Mayan calendar suggests that the Mayans knew, according to your interpretation, about the Big Bang. Because I, it, it, please correct me if I've got any of these numbers wrong, because I've got your book right here, but yeah. I did not yeah. tag those pages. I think you, you, your cycle calculates nine time cycles, and that they add up to something like sixteen and a half billion years. That's right. Yeah. But I think yeah. most of the estimates about the age of the Earth aren't they closer to thirteen and a half billion years? It, it, it has become like that. But I, does I that three say- billion matter at all? I think it's two billion years from from. Okay. Um, no, I don't think it matters. Uh, you know that that estimate uh, that 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 has become sort of predominant is based on certain assumptions about uh, the universe, and and it's still a very very when you start thinking about it, it's it's just a very very difficult thing to um, measure um, time in, in in a world where everything is just electrons or just protons. What what is time in such a world when there is no structure? Uh, so so I, I don't think that matters at all. And it, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily say that the Maya knew about the Big Bang. Uh, what they knew about was this this metaphysical under this underlying metaphysical time and that they did know that at that point in time 16.4 billion years ago something must have happened that's that's how i would interpret it uh to them time was a metaphysical phenomenon whereas to the modern science time is really based on on physical cycles and that's a different uh, uh, different thing yeah, based on location more than anything anymore, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Sixteen and a half billion years ago, your your thinking is that 
Um, the calendar suggests a major event. Could it be something other than the creation of the be? I mean, the beginning of this earth. Could it have been something other than that? Or I mean, you know, uh, sometimes in mathematics we have these uh, problems where we're just essentially going backwards in negative numbers uh, ad infinitum. Um, exploring those possibilities, or, or we're looking at the largest possible primes. Is it possible that this calendar, for all intent and purposes, was made by whoever made it, uh, running two directions just on some mathematical scale, some observed uh, planetary relationship, as opposed to actually being a predictive device? Um, well, um I no, I, I don't think I can answer that. Uh, um, I, I would say the the way I have been uh, um, working to to develop uh, these patterns or to see these patterns is basically to uh, see how the shift points in the Mayan calendar coincides with certain events in in universal history. Uh, the history of the universe, the history of the galaxy, the history of the Earth, and so forth. And uh, what you find then is, is uh, it's not just sort of random events coinciding with these shift points, but there is there are several uh, cases of patterns that you may uh, identify. So, in other words, the, the evolution of our planet as well as the universe, it, it follows certain patterns. It seems to follow a predetermined time plan. And uh, uh, I think uh, uh, my work has, has, uh, has shown this, uh, this quite uh, convincingly. And uh, I'm you know, everything is connected with everything else, and so there might be other things, other ways of looking at these things, but uh, as I have not personally researched them, and so I couldn't tell whether they would be accurate or not. Okay. So we have a correspondence between all of the events that you have tied together uh, to the calendar. Is that what we're saying? Yes. But not necessarily yes. a causal link. Well, I would say a causal link in the sense that at these shift points, there is a shift in the human mind, or there is a shift in the in the mind that becomes downloadable to uh, to people. Um, you know, when there is a shift point, you might say it's version 1.0 or 2.0 of the mind that uh, becomes downloadable, and once people download a new version of the mind, they start to create a, a different kind of reality, a different external world, uh, because the, the external world in this view is really just a, a projection of, of, um, of, our, um, of our mind. And, okay. uh, yeah. You know, I, I guess I'm trying to put this all together. The calendar yep. itself had to come in to existence in somebody's hands 5,000 years ago or, or, or thereabouts, despite the fact that it goes back 16 and a half billion years. Have I got yeah. that part right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there was a download to some Mayan scholar uh, or scholars that gave rise to creating the calendar itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Now, the calendar then predicted everything up until either 2011 or 2012. Well, let's just use your calendar. It predicted yeah. everything up until 10-28-2011. Yes. We have nothing going forward, however, to use as a predictor. Well, uh, I wouldn't say so. I, I think the Please. calendar. Uh, uh, I I think the calendar actually continues, but we don't. We can't. We don't have the patterns. The patterns that uh, were in operation until that shift point, uh, we cannot use them anymore. So I would be, you know, as I think you mentioned here, I, I have in the past done some very precise predictions of what actually happened uh, based on the Mayan calendar. Today, I'm, I'm much more cautious of, of making predictions uh, because uh, the, the, we are in a situation where, where we don't really know the patterns. Uh, uh, that's, yeah. All right, well... Well, they, they sometimes call it a can of worms, Dr. Calliman, but you are on provocative enlightenment. And so I have to ask you about predictive power. Uh, you've been known, like, you know, you say you, I mean, whenever you make predictions, that's a risky business. Yeah. You predicted a financial crash occurring on July 11, 2009, and it didn't happen. No, Indeed, no it, did I? Yeah, you did. Yeah, maybe and did. according yeah. to your okay. predictions, by November 7th of 2009, there should have been a collapse of the U.S. dollar. Yeah. And by November 3rd of 2010, there should have been a collapse of the hierarchies. And if you will, I assume that was, you know, yeah. uh, the government. Okay. okay. Critics yeah. are quick to jump on you over matters such as this. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I you you get the I mean the can of worms. You can be right, you can be wrong. Yeah. Uh yeah. you said you were very accurate. What say you about when you're not? Right. Yeah. It happens that that is not. But you know, I I actually think it's more surprising that somebody is is totally accurate at any point in time that that's more that weighs more to me than the fact that that the same person might be wrong uh, also at other points in time. Do you, do you, do you follow my argument? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I do. And within the field of predictions, especially working with something like a calendar, um, you know, I, I can totally understand how easy it would be to you know, make a, an error. Uh, in fact, yeah. I would expect that your errors would far outnumber right. your yeah. number of hits. Uh, yeah. However, then you know, by contrast, that also argues that well, we're using that swag system. You know, the scientific wild. Uh, you know, this is internet radio, so I guess I can say it. That scientific wild ass guess. Um, and 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 I guess that's what troubles critics is that. You know, if it's a predictor, the scientist tends to think of a slide rule. I use a slide rule to predict a lot of things. And when I, when I slide, um, my bar down that slide rule, uh, it is always going to give me a definitive answer. So, I mean, we tend to think of it that way unless we're talking to a psychic. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, anyway, let's go on. 
You, do you have any current predictions? Uh, no, not really. I think there is a, one thing I would say is, is a, a more profound shift in, in the world where where the Eastern Hemisphere is becoming stronger, um, and, and that's something that will last for a long time, I think. And we see that acting out in the real world right this minute. How? Well, I would say we we see it in 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 in, in Russia. We see it in in so the Middle on. East and so forth. Not necessarily in the way we we would like it, uh, right? But but I think that's part of the, the what's happening now. Okay. So, did you have any forecast about uh, Putin and his ambitions in the past? forecast uh, uh, you, you mean, pro- yeah yeah a prediction yeah i think so i have an uh, i wrote an article it must have been 2006 2007 saying that russia would again become like a superpower yes she did yes she did indeed and that's what i wanted to get out okay <laughs> let's do this uh we have a couple of minutes before our next break you have a very interesting idea that uh, I'd like you to unpack for us. So I, I, we'll kind of introduce it. If you can get it off in the next couple of minutes, great. If not, we'll come back and deal with it after, after the break. But you speak about the advance of the Garden of Eden. Exactly what do you mean? The ad- advance, you said? Yeah, the, the advance. The return and advance of the, the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, okay, I can do that. Um Basically, before civilization arose uh, 5,000 years ago, uh, at that activation of a new wave in the Mayan calendar, I I believe people lived in something you might call a a Garden of Eden. In other words, they they did not have minds that separated, separated them from the divine, separated them them from from nature, and and separated them from... um, other people. I, I, I believe they were living in some kind of a shamanic state of unity, and I discussed this in, in my this recent book. But uh, and I do think that this this uh, this unity mind that existed at that time is now being reintroduced in as a possibility uh, by this ninth wave of, of the Mayan calendar that was just recently activated, and we still have not seen very much of, of it uh, manifesting in the world. But I do think that's the long-term uh, prospect, and uh, and and that would mean, <clears throat> you know, if. If by Garden of Eden we mean unity with all things, I, I do think that is what what is coming further down the line. It is an absolutely fan, fantastic read. It's it's challenging, it's provocative. Um, unfortunately, I've only had the opportunity to read one of your books. Uh, I'm going to have to get the others: "The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization: A Novel Theory of Our Origins." I would not dismiss this, uh, any of you out there. I would, I would get the book and I would read it. Uh, we hope you're enjoying our show today. Be sure to check out Dr. Kalaman's website at kalaman.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after paying some bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The changes I've seen in my life are truly a blessing. 
and our talk has given me the tools to repair deep-seated beliefs that constantly worked against me. I find myself happier and more successful since I've used the InnerTalk programs. I encourage you to discover the power of your beliefs by visiting www.innertalk.com and selecting your title for change. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Carl Johan Kalman about his work and book, The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization. We'll take your phone calls in this half hour. So if you have questions for our guest, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. Now, we just played Stairway to Heaven, one of my yeah. favorites, by Led Zeppelin. What's the story with this one, Dr. Kalman? Well, I think Stairway to Heaven is a good uh, way of describing a Mayan, calum, uh, a Mayan pyramid, which is really, that, that's what it, it expresses. Um, but it also reminds me of the, the when I was young, uh, the, the, the British bands would always first come to Sweden to test their wings, and Sweden would be the first country that the Beatles would go to, and Led Zeppelin would go to, and, and I remember seeing them very early on in, in, in the concert hall in Stockholm, and, and so I, I, it's a favorite of mine uh, since long time, and and. Um, and uh, and stairway to heaven is the 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 Mayan pyramids describe a, a, a stairway to the to this ninth wave this this uh, garden of eden unity consciousness that will manifest over time i love it just like therapy little by little you admit the importance of these songs to yourself <laughs> <laughs> You notice a change in me, right? Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. All right. Okay, listen. Uh, 
you talked about the mind download in 2011, um, and and you're still able to use the calendar some. So let me ask you this: Do we have any more mind downloads coming? No, I don't think so. That's my my understanding is that there are nine waves. They're all now in operation, and no other one is is coming. And you know, you mentioned a little bit about the kind of hype that existed regarding the Mayan calendar in the uh, years prior to 2012. Yeah. And there, there were all these uh, talks, people were attributing all kinds of ideas to the Maya, saying they had predicted the end of the world or they had predicted the birth of a new world, etc., etc. And all the, except for one single inscription from the ancient Maya, all of these were made up uh, by, by modern people. But the, there was one inscription uh, from a place called Tortuguero, monument number six, that was written uh, in the 7th century uh, after Christ, and which actually tells what they thought of as this, what this uh, shift point would mean. Uh-huh. And what it says there is, is basically that the, 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 this metaphysical entity that they symbolized with the nine-storied pyramids, something they called Bolon Yokte Ku, would then appear in its full regalia. And, I mean, that may sound archaic and cryptic, but... Um, I would say that what it meant was that only at this shift point in in 2011 would all these nine waves be in operation. That would mean the the full regalia of the, of of this uh, uh, this nine story the metaphysical entity. Um, um, so so uh, in in that inscription you might say that it limits the uh, the number of waves to nine. Bolon, Yokte. Bolon means nine in, in Mayan language. So, so it would only be nine levels as far as I can tell. All right. So we, if we're not going to have any more downloads, then the reconciliation, if it's at all possible on this planet, if, if, if there is ever going to be peace, was from the download in 2011. Well, maybe I put it a little bit incorrectly then. We, we, we are having new downloads, but there wouldn't be any new, uh, new level of the mind, so to speak. But in the process that we're in now, we're still, you know, choosing to download between these different versions of the mind, I would say. And certainly I hope over time that more and more people will download this, this ninth wave uh, uh, version. Okay, so that brings up something else. That means that you and I, theoretically, could have access to this last download. Yeah. Uh, how would we go about gaining that access, Dr. Kalaman? I think it, you know, I think the starting point is to, to make the, have the intention to say that, yes, I, I want this. And I, I also think it's very much like a spiritual thing because, um, I think it goes through unity with the divine. An experience of, of a unity uh, and, and, a, and a, re, a creation of a real unity on an individual basis with the divine. Um, 
and if we are able to uh, to uh, to manifest such a unity that then that will spread to uh, how we relate also to other people and to nature uh, and so forth uh, and uh, I, I think today uh, there are many uh, people in the world that are uh, changing themselves in order to to uh, to download this this uh, unity consciousness, but the first step I, I, I must say is is um, uh, to have the intention and you know seek and you will find and once you have the intention you will you will uh, you I'm sure you will find the means to to develop yourself in that direction and which would mean that in in all your dealings with everything you you would be less dualistic uh, uh less inclined to to separate and more unitarian you might say and and more uh um, more inclined to to uh see the unity and create the unity but that would take a lot of work I think it's it's not just happening automatically, but it starts with an intention, and and from that uh, the possibility is there. Given our existing power structures in the world, <clears throat> that sounds like a very ambitious. I mean, it's you know that that's essentially a one-world government, or at least it's um, a one-world view, and uh, that that. Forgive me for maybe some of my pessimism, but that doesn't seem like it's uh, going to happen in my lifetime. Uh huh. Okay. Well, uh, I hope it does. I hope I'm all yeah. wrong, <clears throat> and, and I'm going to go to work on making that happen. We do that every day. But all right. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm 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 a little confused on a point, and I'm being selfish here because I have questions from our chat room and and that to to put forward to you, but. Uh, the divine, we get our consciousness from the earth. Is the divine the earth, or is the divine all the planets that might have life on it? Or, you know, exactly what are you saying when you relate this to the divine? Yeah, no, I understand that uh, uh, absolutely. That question, I, you know, I think the the divine that I'm talking about is not part of the physical reality. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's it's consciousness, and it, it doesn't really come from the earth. It is mediated by the earth. Um, somehow, the the physical structure of of the earth, and especially of its inner core, is sort of. Uh, focusing the the um, is, is, is it's structuring the mind that we are able to download, uh, but uh, that that means that uh, um, you know the the divine is is all over the universe beyond the universe and. Uh, uh, but depending on on what planet you may live on, uh, and and what kind of structure that that has, uh, there might be a different kind of mind created from this original source. Uh, it's a simplistic thing when I say that the the mind comes from the earth, but it's the earth is uh, and its structure is the one that most immediately structures the mind for us to download. So, if I were to just take this metaphor and I tried to think of it in terms of a scientific model, 
the resonance that you're talking about must then be, since it's the core of the Earth, electromagnetic in nature. No, I, I don't think so. It's, you don't? I think we're talking about a, a mind field that is uh, not electromagnetic. Um, and one of the arguments I would put forward for that is that the, the, these ancient structures, the, the constructions, pyramids, and so forth that were built, that I say are, are uh, showing, uh, are proof of the downloading of the, uh, of the global mind, they are not pointing to the electromagnetic uh, poles. They are pointing to true north and true south, you know, which are not electromagnetic in nature. So I think it's, 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 it's another kind of a field that we're talking about. More like the M field of Rupert Sheldrake, then. I don't mean M field as in physics, but Sheldrake yeah. has the, well, you more, know the, more, the theory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. More, oh. more, more like it. Not the same, okay. but more like it, yeah. But more like it. All right. Let's, uh, let's take some questions here. Uh, first question I have is from John. He says, how do you know the mind's downloading anything? How do I know the mind is downloading anything? Yeah, I, I guess that's a fair question, really. How did you know? What did you use to determine that the mind downloaded anything in 2011, say? Well, um, if we go back a little bit in... in I don't understand the question, I think. Uh, okay. I, uh, let, let, I mean, me, let me restate it, see if I can yeah. restate it for John. Yeah. In 2011, there was a download, a mind download, uh, that you essentially said the, the children that downloaded that, they're like now three years of age. Yeah. So yeah. Th there was a, a download available in 2011. On yeah. what basis... Did you determine that that download was available or that it happened? I think that's what John's asking. Oh, okay. Then, then I understand. Uh, well, you know, historically speaking, if I, you know, this, this is so recent that it's it's hard to 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 see. But, uh, for instance, if you go to other significant events, uh, downloads like. Um, uh, three thousand, uh, sorry, five thousand uh, one hundred twenty-five years ago. Yes, you see it, but because you you see that pyramids are starting to be built and they were never built before, and then there is another very significant uh, shift, a new mind downloadable in seventeen fifty-five, and you see it because, for instance, the 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 United States is coming into existence with a new system of governance of, of democracy, and you you see it very much because suddenly. Uh, and machines are starting to be built, and in industry, and and uh, a tremendous amount of new novelties is emerging at that particular shift point. Now, then, uh, and then, you can say 1999. Yes, you see it because then uh, you see the world's economy is, is starting to shift over to the to the east. You see the emergence of of an interactive internet and smart technologies and so forth. And you know, based on on, on sort of the this the mathematics of how the different uh, versions of, of the mind are downloadable, you would also expect a, a downloading in in 2011 that would bring unity mind. But I could not at this point prove that except for just 
based on the mathematics of the downloadable uh, versions of, of, of the mind. Uh, then, of course, there's a lot of people that sense that there is a, some kind of an awakening happening, but that, that wouldn't be hard evidence e- either. The, 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 you see this mostly through this, uh, the, the mathematics of how very, in the past, uh, there's, uh, there are precise times when, when new versions are uh, um, being downloadable, and I, I see no reason to doubt that it would apply as well to 2011. Okay, so in other words, I want to I want to clarify this, and I can dismiss another one of the questions here that I have out of the chat room. There is a correspondence when we look at significant events according to the calendar, and we look at history we see that every significant event has a corresponding significant event in history. And after a while, the correspondence accumulates to a point where mathematically it's insane to say it's a coincidence. We can begin at that point to say there's some causal relationship, just as we might do in observing astral bodies in the universe. Have I got that correct? Yes. Okay, I got lucky. How about that? <laughs> no, I don't think you were lucky. <laughs> it just makes sense. Yeah. Let's go to the next question. Connie says, what does Dr. Kalaman have to say about evidence by some archaeologists who claim that humans have been around a lot longer than 5,000 years? They claim to have found human footprints, shoes, remains, etc., embedded or encased in very old, millions of year old rock, sediment, and other artifacts. And indeed... We had a guest on this show just a couple of weeks ago who is one of those uh, experts that uh, argues that, uh, you know, human beings have been here many, many thousands of years longer than 5,000. What's your take on that, Dr. Kalman? Well, I, I to begin with, I never said that humans... Uh, are only 5,000 years. What I say is that humans began to download the mind 5,000 years ago, and the mind is then, it doesn't come from the humans, it comes from the earth. And uh, um, so uh, according to to archaeological or, or anthropological evidence, humans in, in, in the strict sense of the word have been around for 2 million years. Uh, in other words, that's the oldest tools that they find, and and that's what they define as making a human being uh, the human being. And then, of course, there are predecessors to them. Uh, But then, you know, then there are people, uh, you know, like forbidden archaeology that that are emphasizing what I would say anomalies, and and they they go outside of of the established uh, timelines of... of, uh, of science, and I right. I would not go there, uh, partly because I have been working in science, and and I know that there, in any field of science, you will find anomalies, and uh, so you have a choice there. Either you 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 uh, you follow what is the what the mass of evidence is is pointing to, or you're choosing a couple of anomalies and and making all. Uh, things uh, uh, revolve around these anomalies, uh, and that's not what I'm doing. 
But uh, yes, humans have been around uh, at least two million years. But I would say two million years is the established uh, age of the human being. Okay. Well, in all fairness to Michael Cremo, I think, you know, and he was the guest that we had on the show. um, I I think the fact that he is outside of the existing paradigm is uh, much more similar to your being outside of the existing paradigm than it is dissimilar. However, in all fairness to what you're saying, um, your correspondence has built up a mathematical probability that is uh, well I'll let I'll let our audience decide on that it, 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 the bottom line yeah. is you know we don't have that one down pat that's for sure right yeah, yeah. okay uh, CB wants to know is there enough information in how the Mayan calendar was constructed to form a new cyclic device to utilize this in post Mayan calendar time uh, could you repeat that please Sure, absolutely. He says, is there enough information in how the Mayan calendar was constructed to form a new cyclic device to utilize in the post-Mayan calendar time? In other words, do you have enough information? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I would say yes to that answer. And uh, that's something I'm working on, and uh, I will um, make contacts with others that, that I believe will be interesting in, in working on that. Yes, I think there is, there is, it is time to, to present some, uh, a new calendar that will be useful also for the future. And when you come up with this and you write your book, you'll send it to me and we'll bring you back on the show again and we'll discuss it, right? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, good. Mark, last question very quickly because we're running short of time. Uh, what does Dr. Kellerman think of the hypothesis that the influx in technology, such as the pyramids, came from visitors from other planets? Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't think that is the case. Um, I, I believe that, you know, what, what, we, what, what we, I think what we all can agree on is that when you look at the the sudden emergence of civilization about 5,000 years ago, it, there is a gap in the old paradigm to explain this. Why did it happen in so many parts of the world at exactly the same uh, time? And why uh, was there such a range of, of different um, uh, Phenomena that we associate with with civilization, you know, whether it's numbers, there is writing, there there is monarchies, there, there is pyramids, there, there are cities. All these things came at the same time, and so this creates a gap. This is something that that uh, the established uh, academia cannot explain. They, they basically just ignore the issue. And then there have been two, uh, two quite popular ways of, of explaining this gap. One is the idea of, um, 
that there was an old civilization that we don't know have any evidence of that that somehow survived and then suddenly manifested these things in different parts of the world like the Atlantis idea mm-hmm. and then then there's the other one which is suddenly at that point in time there came uh, um, extraterrestrials and they would tell people what to do in, in all these places and, and, and change the world and what I'm presenting here is a, a completely new idea that the reason this happened at this point in time is that the mind became available to people. It, it became downloadable. And what, what I argue and I, and I present rational arguments in favor of is that all of these changes that we associate with the rise of civilization, whether, whether we're talking about the, the emergence of money, of, of, of calendars, of... Dr. Kalman, I'm no. sorry. I'm just yeah. going to have to cut you off because we we're coming up okay. on a hard break, and I want everybody again... To know, the book is The Global Mind and the Rise of Civilization. You can get it online uh, at all the bookstores. Uh, if we want to know more about you and how to reach you, Dr. Kalaman, is there something better than your website, or is Kalaman.com the place to go? Oh, that's the place to go. And right. there is a, you, you can maybe, there, there are Facebook pages and, and Twitter and all these things, but I, yeah, I, Googling, I, I'm, Googling. Yeah. Dr. Kalaman, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and I'm sorry thank to cut you, so you off, much. but we're just out of time. I want to thank so all much. of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week. Same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.